Hello, and welcome to Raising Eco-Minimalists, a podcast that acts as a community for those who are raising kids who care about their mind, body, and the earth. I'm Laura, your host, mom to a five-year-old and self-described anxious eco-minimalists. Thanks for joining. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Raising Eco-Minimalists. Today, I am joined by Lindsay Short of Simply Sustainable Parenting, and we're going to be talking about just that. So let's dive right in. First, though, I want to give a big welcome to Lindsay. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I don't know exactly when... I started following you in relation to the timeline of the podcast, but I knew early on that I wanted you to be on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so my husband and I live in Cincinnati with our daughter, Willow, who is two. And then we are actually expecting a son at the end of this August. Our like sustainability journey has been... I don't know, a long road. I think a lot of times on social media, you see like our minimalist playroom or us going to a refillery and think like, oh, this is just how they've always lived. (laughs) And that's definitely not been the case. Um, But we kind of came into sustainability out of a financial need. My husband and I both worked in social service. And then I decided to stay home when my daughter was born. And then, you know, cutting down to one income was something that we had to be very mindful of. So we started down the road of sustainability out of a desire to save money. And then once my daughter was born, we were like, whoa, not only is this saving us money, but this is saving her planet. So that's kind of what got me to where I am now. And now on social media, I kind of share that journey and also just help encourage parents to make um, intentional decisions about their parenting, about, you know, the way they consume things for themselves and their children and in hopes that we can preserve our world. Yes. Well, first, congrats on your son um, and making his appearance in August. That's very exciting. So you just mentioned kind of the overarching theme of what you talk about and what you share. And I think one of the reasons I was first drawn to your account and your content so much was because in some ways, we I think we overlap on our view of sustainability and that it doesn't just mean green living. Mm -hmm. So can you share what your definition of sustainability is? Yeah, I think sustainability for me is making decisions that are sustainable. (laughs) So like decisions that I make in my parenting are made in a way that is this something that I can can continue for the long haul. Um, I think a lot of times parents make decisions that maybe in the moment are helpful, but maybe down the road create more issue or more headache. So yeah, I think sustainability for me is just that mindfulness, that intention to, you know, in the things that we buy and the way that we speak and the things that we do, do things that we can do for the long haul or that impact us more positively long term. I love that definition because it incorporates, like I said before, more than just green living. You know, you talk about basically like a lifestyle that is sustainable for Mm -hmm. the person living it. And I know that for me, I talk a lot about my dealings with anxiety and some depression. and, And I think that that 
plays into being able to live sustainably in the sense of the green movement, but also your definition. And I know you you talk touch a little bit about you know uh, parental or guardian mental health and mindfulness a little bit. Mm-hmm. Can you share how? those two things play into the sustainability movement? Yeah, I think kind of similar to what I just said, I think a lot of times as parents, we get so wrapped up into like the shoulds of parenting. And those messages come from a number of different places. They can come from your family, your friends, media, marketing, like, you know, marketing marketers who are trying to get you to buy things, their things specifically. We just get so wrapped up in the like what we should be doing that we forget that our parenting and our children and our family unit needs to work for us. And uh, we get a say in that. Like we have freedom to create a home environment that looks completely different than anyone else's home environment. Um, And in that, I think there is hopefully space for us to care for our mental health and be mindful of the ways that the decisions we're making within our family are impacting us for the good. Um, I think when we get wrapped up in the shoulds of parenting is when it becomes just so heavy (laughs) that not any person is really cut out to bear that um, or to live up to the media portrayals of parenting or the marketing messages of all the things that we need as parents and all the things that children need to meet developmental goals and outcomes and all those things. I just think that sustainability and mindfulness in parenting makes parenting simple. And that's really my heart and what I hope to share in that to help people, yeah, just like live better lives (laughs) at the end of the day. One thing that marketing is really good at is making us as parents or guardians feel guilty about, you know, if we don't have this thing, then we're, you know, potentially a, a lesser parent. Absolutely. Or, yeah. And that can be a really slippery slope. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And it's yeah. never ending. <laughs> yes, exactly. And especially yeah. as a new parent, I know that that, you know, i I wanted the best because I was so nervous, uh, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I think I think we have good intentions for our kids, but it can, like I said, it can be a slippery slope. So how can we start to uh, keep these things in mind and intertwine them into our kids and our families? Yeah, I think what has been most impactful for our family is really getting clear on what those long-term overarching goals are for our family. So we actually have a family mission statement. And again, it probably, it doesn't look like, it's not a corporate mission statement. It's not something I would like (laughs) print on a t-shirt and like, it sounds good. It's way too wordy. You know, it like, it's not succinct, but it works for us. And in moments where it feels like we're getting lost in the like waves of what everyone else is doing, it really allows us to hone in on what's important for our our address. <laughs> like our home unit has specific goals and ideals about what it is to live a good life. Yeah, and I think getting really clear on those as a family helps you kind of tune out those other influences that, you know, their whole point is to lead you astray from what you actually want to be doing. And it isn't until we're miles and miles and miles offshore that we realize like, wait a second, (laughs) like I didn't, I didn't want to live life like this. Why is it so chaotic and overwhelming? Um, Yeah. When you 
created your mission statement, your family mission statement. Did you include your daughter in that? I know she's a bit younger. Um, or was it just you and your husband this time around? And do you anticipate changing it as she gets older? Yeah, and I for sure anticipate changing it. This is kind of a thing that we have uh, revisited annually as a like Mother's Day on the calendar. That's when we kind of sit down and relook at this. But it's always something that we're willing to shift and refocus. I cannot wait for the day. My daughter's two and a half. Um, I cannot wait for the day that she has input into this because I think, I don't know, just like what a valuable moment to feel like your family sees you so highly enough to let your voice speak into what they find important. So yeah, it's definitely not a like fixed mission statement. It will certainly evolve as time goes on. And I hope to have as much input from my children as possible. Do you have some tips on bringing this topic of creating one up with a spouse or a partner, maybe one who's not entirely sure about the whole concept? Yeah, I have on my website, I believe. um, And if I don't, I would be definitely willing, if it's not live now, be willing to send this out. But I created just like a a mission statement workbook. I think talking to your partner about like, I don't, yeah, I don't think this is working is a good, (laughs) a good statement. I don't know. (laughs) Even with my husband, you know, we have a family mission statement. When I say things like, I don't think this is working, very rarely does he push back. (laughs) If it has come to a point where I'm like, this is not fun, he is probably well aware of the same, of the same fact. But I think, yeah, yeah, just trying to get on the same page. I think there's no greater intimacy than when you and your partner or whomever in your home are on the same page about, you know, the bigger picture. So, and that probably comes with a lot of collaboration, you know, when you have more than one person and their ideals, it doesn't always end up the way that you maybe alone would have wanted it to look. But again, I think that just being on the same page is huge. Yeah. It's a good, good practice for compromise. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Um, and uh, just a quick side note to topic of family mission statement and values does come up in episode two uh, when I talk about eco minimalism with kids uh, with Stephanie Sferian. So awesome. if you're list- interested in listening uh, or hearing more about this topic, be sure to check out episode two as well. Okay, so one of the things that you talk about on especially Instagram is boundaries and the importance of having those. And I think that the majority of us know that having boundaries is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as I know you've said before, it's hard. It's a hard thing. Um, our society is not very, jeez, um, oh, what's the word? <laughs> not very good at uh, taking no for an answer and makes us feel guilty about it. So I would love to talk a little bit about boundaries if that works for you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So how can we set boundaries for ourselves, the people that are listening who are parents or guardians for our own health, physical and mental? Yeah, I think looking at what's not working is huge and asking yourself why. Mm. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of times we get stuck in relationships and routines in even conversations like on, you know, on a smaller scale that aren't serving us and are actually like damaging to our mental health and asking yourself why, like, why am I 
Why am I in a relationship with this person if they're so draining? Why am I allowing these conversations to happen if they are making me feel a certain way? And getting clear on that, why you're letting yourself do this and what it would be like if you didn't. (laughs) Like, what would it be like if I didn't spend, you know, hours every day scrolling through social media? I feel like that's a very, like, I don't know, a safe one. (laughs) Not a lot of people will argue that hours and hours and hours on social media makes you feel good. So why are you doing that? What would it be like if you didn't? And what can you do to change those habits? I think putting boundaries around yourself and making making sure that the decisions you're making are helping you is huge. I think the tricky part, and you know, it's a little easier to say like, okay, let me self-evaluate and then let me make my own decisions. What gets really tricky is when those decisions are about other people <laughs> and those boundaries need to be communicated as opposed to just like executed. And that's what I try to talk a lot about is it's good and it's healthy and it's necessary to communicate boundaries to help you live a more productive life. And when you think about your children, they're not going to learn how to set healthy boundaries if they never see someone set healthy boundaries. Like that's always my motivator. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. this is a really hard conversation, but I want my daughter to be really good at this. So she's going to need to see some examples of even me fail at it (laughs) so that she can be better at it. Mm. So how can we set boundaries for our kids, especially for those of us who have kids that are younger Mm -hmm. I think the conversation changes a little bit as they get older to a certain age but my son's five and he you know wouldn't be able to grasp the concept that you know I shouldn't say yes to this not that Mm -hmm. he's having a lot of decisions to make without us but you know um, how can uh, we protect them with boundaries without overdoing it I guess does that make sense yeah for sure I think that looks probably different for everyone I think for us, it's been a lot of just proactivity, um, knowing the people in our lives and knowing the things that they say, and the things that they do. And before the situation arises, being able to communicate like, hey, for an example, we're actually teaching Willow about consent. When she's in your presence, we would really appreciate it if you did not initiate unwanted touch. And you're more than welcome to read her nonverbals or verbally ask her. But just know that if she gives you a signal of no or I'm not interested, we want you to respect that. And it gets tricky because sometimes people are like, well, I shouldn't have to ask for a hug or, you know, all of those things that our society has decided (laughs) decided Mm -hmm. are healthy. You get pushback sometimes. And those are just continuing conversations that we have we, my family has had to have with other people. But I think as proactive as you can be, the better. And then in the moment, you're able to just remind, like, hey, she's not making eye contact with you. I don't think that she wants to play piano with you, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, I'm sure it gets trickier when they get when they get older, especially when they become, you know, communicative enough to maybe want a different boundary for themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's not really a bridge we've had to cross yet, but hopefully in, in that time, we'll just have lots of education around why our boundaries are what they are. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think you've touched on, on it is just a lot of communication. I think have, you know, family values and missions can help and just t- talking about the why, kind of mm-hmm. what you just said. 
I'm thinking just I'm totally just thinking I'm experiences with my own son but yeah it'll be interesting when he's like 12 or 13 and how it'll change then so Mm -hmm. you touched on it a little bit um, but how can we help teach our kids how to set their own healthy boundaries I think just giving them the language and again this is probably geared for more younger children but I model I model setting boundaries for my daughter and sometimes the one that we are currently wrestling with a little bit is her <laughs> her volume level in the car. <laughs> she <laughs> loves to sing and I am very sound sensitive. So we've had lots of conversations about how when we're in the car, we can't get too loud. Mama's driving. That really hurts my ears. Let's think of some other things we can do. Um, and be- I think because of that, she knows that when she's uncomfortable in her body, we are receptive to make change. Um, And we may not always get it right. She, you know, half the time forgets (laughs) and we have to have the same conversation over and over again. But I think there's a misconception in gentle parenting specifically that like you're not allowed as a parent to have any preferences. (laughs) Like Your life is just to, you know, be super calm, super loving, super accepting and. I think a lot of times that sets parents up for failure. They like, you know, they explode because their child's screaming in the backseat of the car for 45 minutes and their nervous system is (laughs) completely out of whack. And then they, you know, they shame themselves for the rest of the day for not being a gentle Mm. parent. When in reality, Mm. what would be gentle is, you know, communicating your body's needs and, and remembering that you're human and reminding your child that you're human. That way they can know what it looks like to be aware of their body, be aware of their needs and communicate them in a way that um, leads to like a healthy relationship. (laughs) I think we do our children a disservice when we try to be perfect. So yeah, I think modeling is huge. Yeah, that's so true. That's, that's a really good point. Another thing you touched on a little bit uh, briefly was addressing getting pushback (laughs) Mm -hmm. when, which often seems to come up especially for family, well-meaning or not, uh, when we set our boundaries or do things differently than they did. Can you give some tips on how to respond to that, especially if you've expressed your wishes and they're not respecting them? Yeah, Um, I'm actually holding a workshop on this uh, next week. So I don't know when this uh, podcast will be live, but if it is after the live version of the workshop, it will be live on my um, website for people to listen to and take part in. I think, so there's a million answers to this question. That's why I'm doing a workshop because (laughs) it's very nuanced and it's not super straightforward. I think what I always try to remind people is that the breach of a boundary comes with a consequence. And that consequence doesn't always have to be communicated. It's not something that we have to like sit down and say, because you did this, I'm now, you know, not engaging in these things for for this amount of time. Like, I think we make it way bigger than it needs to be. But I think when a boundary is not communicated, there are consequences. And for us, one of the ones that we enact, and that is honestly very uncomfortable for us, but... (laughs) It's to get our point of cross and honestly has been out of uh, how old's my daughter? Two and a half years of not uh, of a disrespected boundary is that gifts that do not meet our criteria. Like if we've asked for no gifts or you, whatever, whatever that is, go home with the gift giver. 
And we are very nice about it. Like, yes, she can play with that when she's at your house. Thank you so much for this toy that is very sensory, (laughs) overwhelming. She (laughs) loves it and she will play with it when she's at your house. (laughs) And very often they're like, well, I don't want this at my house. I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. I understand. (laughs) I I understand that sentiment. Um, And again, that was a pre-communicated boundary. We have been very clear like, hey, we do not want X, Y, and Z things in our home which oftentimes we get the pushback of like, just throw it away, which you can understand is like an eco bird. <laughs> that is not an option for me. Like that brings <laughs> me more stress. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, we go down that road too, but I forget your question now even, but I think, yes, the pushback, there has to be consequences. And again, it looks very different for every situation and every person, even within our family, our consequences look different for different people. But of the break of a boundary or the breach of a boundary, there are consequences for. Mm. And trying to figure those out and navigate them, you know, only makes it more complicated. But at the end of the day, my relationship with that person isn't one-sided suffering. (laughs) I think think when you don't uh, enact a consequence for the breach of a boundary, then you are feeling all of this built up animosity and anger while they get to continue living their life how they were. And (laughs) it just continues until at some point there's going to be either an explosion or a break of relationship. So yeah, as uncomfortable as it is to enact a consequence, I think, again, that's just a proactive measure so that you can continue that relationship. If I bottle up these emotions and never say anything to you, at some point, our relationship is going to suffer maybe more than it mm-hmm. it would have if I just would have been consistent with the consequence. Mm, that's really good. That's a really good point because I was thinking you're, we're both from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Passive aggressiveness slash avoidance of conflict is the mainstream here. Mm -hmm. And I think nobody really likes conflict, but especially here, it's, it just seems much more ingrained that we don't cause ripples. And so I think what you said of keeping in mind that it's going to be more detrimental to us, it's going to be uncomfortable either way, but it's going to be more uncomfortable for us if we just sit and let it fester. And then, as you said, the damage to the relationship could be worse than it is in the present moment because if, you know, if we blow up or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I just wanted to reiterate that because I think that's a really good piece to keep in mind when we're trying to set our own boundaries with people. Yeah. Um, I think too, we make it bigger in our head than it sometimes is in reality. You know, like we try to predict (laughs) how they're going to respond and we think it's Mm. going to be the end of the world for them. And sometimes Mm. it is. And I've had people tell me like, great, it's not really in my budget to buy, you know, a gift for Mm. her every holiday anyway. And I'm like, awesome. Like, let's both take this win and move on with our lives. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's that's another great point too, because especially a, uh, myself that I deal with a lot of anxious thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. I'm definitely always trying to predict what's going to happen and have conversations and, you know, and, and, right. and they, like you said, they don't, they hardly ever turn out how I think they're going to. Mm-hmm. So those are really key pieces. And I just wanted to kind of um, circle back to why 
I wanted to talk to you about setting boundaries is I know we haven't really talked about sustainability in the green sense or minimalism at this point, but I think that it's super important to address mental health and setting boundaries for ourselves because this clears up mental space and it also clears up our our life. It you know makes it what Lindsay talks about makes it simpler. And that allows us more time and energy towards the things that matter to us, like eco-friendly living. So even though we're not we weren't addressing those topics specifically, it absolutely ties in and I think is something that's really important. So Yeah, absolutely. So switching gears here, you brought up your simple playroom, um, and I know that you show that on Instagram, and it's beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Can you tell us what a simple playroom is and how you came to decide that that was what was going to work for your family and how you maintain it? Yeah, so our playroom is actually our primary bedroom. I like to point that out because I think there's... (laughs) misconception you see the room that I just have this like large bedroom space in my house and that is not something that we are fortunate enough to have (laughs) so yeah we did some configure reconfiguring of our upstairs and created this room that has a shelf for some toys a gross motor play area which right now looks like the nugget before we had the nugget it looked like a pickler that my husband built a mirror it's just like very it's very empty (laughs) honestly (laughs) is what I would call it Um, But I get lots of feedback that it's beautiful, which I think is very funny because it is not at all decorated. It's painted. It's painted like a very plain white. (laughs) It has carpet and then it has the things that we have in it. But it is refreshing. And I find Mm -hmm. that, you know, when my daughter and I are in there, I don't feel, I don't feel distracted. I don't feel overwhelmed. I don't feel anxious. Uh, And that's our why. So there are lots of other rooms in our home. that are not as minimal as her playroom. I was actually just having a conversation today about how her play kitchen has gotten a little out of control and I don't even know how that's happened. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so yeah, we just came to that decision because we noticed that even less about my daughter's play, you know, I think kids are pretty adaptable. They can play well in lots of spaces and lots of environments. But for us to be engaged play participants... We needed less distraction. When we had her shelf in our living room, which was the setup before the playroom, I was distracted by all the things that, you know, could be cleaned, could be put away, could be straightened up and was less engaged with her. So creating a space in our home for us has been really great and keeping it minimal has been just like a breath of fresh air. We... Um, have a closet in that room that has, which I've also shown on Instagram, has all of her other toys. So we just, you know, we have like a toy rotation that's not specific or routine. It's just whenever I feel like, you know, something's not getting played with very much, I'll put it away and pull something new out. And it's been really nice to just like kind of be mindful about what's out. She has some, I think they're called tanagrams, where it's like the shapes that you put onto the, um, pictures that has a mm-hmm. lot of pieces so it's like mm-hmm. that toy kind of takes the place of three other toys because mm-hmm. I don't want you know I I don't want to be picking up those pieces from around my house for you know an hour every night yeah and I think you know a simple playroom again looks different for everyone but for us it's been really really nice and what you see on Instagram has been um yeah just a breath of fresh air for us yeah and I think that that's what it is it's 
you know, I, I, I said beautiful too. So. No, <laughs> you're fine. I, I accept that compliment. It's just always funny to me because I literally have not decorated it at all. <laughs> but I think it's just that. It's just, it is, it's spacious and calming and, you know, there's a lot, it, the beautiful, I think is a loaded word, at least how I was thinking about it is, it is just, you're just like, ah, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> What are some of the benefits that you've noticed on having less toys for your daughter? You talked about yourself and I totally agree mm-hmm. with, you know, less time cleaning up, less stress, less mess. But have you noticed, I'll, I'll do yeah. a side note, I think when people get worried and maybe this is just society and our, you know, always having more and more and more culture, but I've heard, I've seen people, be, oh, you know, isn't your child going to get bored? Mm-hmm. So can you kind of address that and... Yeah, absolutely. I get that a lot. I actually had um, a, a video of our playroom go viral like last week. Oh, <laughs> it has like 142,000. Yeah, it's fun. Oh, wow. But then you yeah. get all the, all the yeah. trolls of like, yeah. <laughs> what, someone called it a, a kid prison. I was like, okay, oh. <laughs> really? Gosh. That's Those are your thoughts. Anyway, so um, her play is deeper when she has less. And it's funny because honestly, I could probably take away half of what's even in there <laughs> and like her play would get even richer, but I have a problem keeping up with her. <laughs> like, I need variety more than she does. Um, Cause my imagination is not nearly as rich as hers is. Mm. So yeah, she plays so much more deeply in that simple space. And it's because Everything she touches can be anything she can think of. Like, mm-hmm. There is no limitation to her imagination um, because everything we try to make everything in that room so open ended that um, it really lends itself to whatever she wants it to be. So, yeah, she plays deeper. She plays longer. She plays harder. Like we had the pickler, which was great. And I think for the age range that we had it, she really loved it. But what I was finding is that she is by nature a perfectionist. Mm. So that pickler wasn't really giving her, and if you're not familiar with the pickler triangle, it's like a, a wooden structure that you can climb and slide down. It wasn't giving her the freedom to explore movement in her body because she was having to be perfect. Like you can't really throw yourself around on a pickler without hurting yourself. (laughs) Um, So that was the motivation for the nugget. And it's been so interesting to see her now just like completely exploring movement in different ways. Um, She's like getting sweaty, which is so funny to me. I think that like transition from toddlerhood to kidhood is happening for us. Mm. Um, Where she's just like playing longer and playing way harder. So, and again, I think all of that, all of that like internal reflection from me was possible because we had so few things. <laughs> like I was able to really sit and consider like, it's interesting to me that she doesn't move like other kids I've seen. <laughs> I wonder if it's because, you know, mm-hmm. this one item in her playroom. Whereas if I think if we would have had a playroom full of toys, you don't really get to have the same kind of introspection about a specific item as you do when there's just less and you, you can get more focused observation. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point, which is something that I've talked about, I think on my blog, but for sure on, on in previous episodes. And that's, we know the research around too much clutter for adults, you know, anxiety, stress, overwhelm, and it's a f- actual reaction in our bodies. Mm-hmm. But I think that for some reason, we don't apply that same 
outcome to our kids, but it absolutely is there. And so I think, you know, what you mentioned is such a great example of that, where they are able to really just focus and mm-hmm. ha- have, I guess, I don't want to say better play, but deep, like you said, deeper play. And yeah, it's, you know, something that I just, I really think that we as parents and guardians can, need to keep in mind. And I know that I'm guilty of it, but yeah, it's, it's there. So. Yeah. And I think uh, it ebbs and flows. There's definitely mm-hmm. moments where I'm like, I don't know the the temptation of like, maybe if I got her this thing, yes. <laughs> I could get time to myself. And when those moments come to me, it's like, or I could just take more time for myself. <laughs> like, yeah. It isn't that I need something to accomplish this goal. It's that I need to communicate this, you know, so that I can get uh. some kind of support. And that that goal can be met. I think our oh. our first reaction is always like, "What can I buy or what can I acquire yeah. that would oh, meet wow. this need?" Yeah, that yeah, wow, that just like a light bulb just went off. I think that's probably a result of our societal conditioning mm-hmm. of where we For need sure. a need a product to fix fix things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not true. Wow, yeah, that's. That's so true. So we're coming up on time. And so I wanted to quickly change gears and ask you about your book club. So you yeah. host a book club. Can you tell us about that and what type of books you usually read and, and how can we join? Yeah. So we are on currently our third round of book club. Um, it's been going on for as many chapters as we're in those three books. <laughs> so for a little bit, we typically... we. The last three books have all been parenting focused. I don't know that I'll ever change that. I think it's, you know, the people who are following me for the most, for for most of them are parents. So that feels like a very, you know, everyone can buy in kind of topic. And we meet virtually via Zoom on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we just discuss the book. It's been really great to build community around parenting with other people who are thinking deeply about parenting there you know it's a a low a low cost to to you to just show up to a book club and discuss it sometimes people say something sometimes they don't you're more than welcome to just come and observe and listen sometimes we stay on topic and sometimes we don't (laughs) Um, it's just been really great to talk to other parents so that is available on my website as well Awesome. Well, I will definitely link to the book club page in case anyone's interested and you can find that link in the show notes. So before we get to the question that I ask, the questions that I ask all guests, I wanted to share a quote that I found on your blog because it just, it really hit me in all the spots. Like it just, I really (laughs) resonated with it. And so I think others that are listening will too. So I just wanted to share that quick and then we'll jump into just a couple more questions. So you, uh, you say, this is a quote, I wish I had a resource to tell me that everything I needed as a parent was inside of me, that the books were good, but that my fear of messing up or not being exactly who and what she needed were not only unfounded, but were fears being reinforced by companies hoping to sell me their product, end quote. That is just, I mean, I wish I could have read that when I was, you know, in the throes of postpartum because yeah, that just says everything. So I I hope that if you're listening, that resonated. And if you needed to hear that, I hope that it found you because it it really, even now as my son's five and a half, I, that, that just, yeah, it was really, uh, a really powerful quote for me. So thank you for letting me share that. 
Yeah, thank you for reading it. Yeah. So, okay. So there's um, a few questions that I ask all guests. And the first one is, what's one of your biggest challenges raising an eco-minimalist or eco-kid right now? Oh, boy. There's always lots. I would say, (laughs) I would say pandemic. I think, and you know, everyone probably could say this right now. I think the pandemic has just changed our habits in ways that I didn't anticipate uh, and changed even like my mental health in ways that I didn't anticipate. So for an example, we were not allowed to use reusable. um, We are not allowed to use reusable grocery bags right now in the store. Um, because of the pandemic. And I, you know, I also don't feel great about taking my daughter into the store because of a oh, pandemic. So okay. I think just those things that were kind of unforecast, like we just didn't, we didn't know that these things were happening. And I feel, and I try not to, but I feel a sense of like, wow, her normal now are things that I never wanted to introduce her to. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I think those are my biggest hurdles right now. It's like trying to find normal within this pandemic lifestyle. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate for sure. Mm. Another common pain point that I hear often is balancing those time-saving and convenient items with your sustainable values. Do you have any tips on how you manage that? Um, I think I'm in a unique position in that I'm home. I think, you know, the time part is a lot different when you have parents who are working outside of the home. It just, I think this is a hard question for me to answer because the things like I'm thinking through like cloth diapering, that's something that we did that people would probably say balancing time and the convenience of disposable, like that might be a barrier for entry for some people. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think those things are just so part of our routine now. They don't, I don't know. They just don't really stick out to me right now. Well, maybe just making it part of your routine, you know, yeah, adding things that in. Yeah, that is my tip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> adding things adding things in as you can. And then, yeah, they do just become routine and you don't even realize Yeah, that you just don't even think about them anymore. Yeah. yeah. Yep, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and can you just share where people can find you? Yeah, I am at simply.sustainable.parenting on Instagram. And then my website is www.simplysustainableparenting.com. All right. And like I said, I will link to the information about the book club and then um, the episode will air after the workshop you mentioned to link to that as well, if anyone is interested in that. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I learned so much and I think others will too. Thank you so much. It was fun to chat. Thank you so much again for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing. These three things are the best way to ensure that the podcast reaches other people who are trying to raise eco-minimalists. Additionally, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, as well as the link to join the Facebook community group, all in the show notes. Finally, don't forget that you can become a member of the podcast and receive benefits such as extra bonus episodes, episodes a day early, learn about guests ahead of time, and lots more. The link to becoming a member or to find out more info is also in the show notes. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget that in order for sustainable living to be sustainable, it has to be sustainable for you. Until next time, bye.